good day to you, ladies and gentlemen, friends and listeners. My name is Jenica, and today we get to talk with Amy Andrzak of the Interstate of Natural excuse me, Interstate Natural Gas Association of America. That's kind of a mouthful. And Amy is the president and CEO. She uh, seems quite knowledgeable. I'm very excited. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It is a beautiful Friday here in the Washington, D.C. area. It's actually 75 degrees. It's oh, a nice. gorgeous day. So I'm doing great. That is fantastic. I, I kind of, I've never been to the Washington, D.C. area. I always envisioned it kind of chilly and brisk, so I'm a little <laughs> jealous of your sunshine. <laughs> it It is at certain parts of the year, um, but it is, uh, it's, we have a beautiful spring and a beautiful fall here in Washington, and I'm actually quite the uh, opposite from you then. I've I've basically lived in this area my whole life. Oh, nice. Well, hopefully that's because that's where you want to, you know, just just be because you like it so much. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I, I, I discovered about um, 20 years ago that I wanted to be in politics. And so obviously you can work in politics at the state and local level, but I wanted to be at the federal level. And so I've been here ever since. So it's exactly where you need to be in any case for what you're doing. So that's nice. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, as you mentioned, um, I'm the president and CEO of INGA, the Interstate Natural Gas Association of America. And we are an advocacy organization representing natural gas transmission and storage pipeline companies. So Washington, D.C. is the place for us to be. Oh, absolutely. So what what is it exactly that the, the organization does to advocate uh, you know, for these different regulatory and legislative positions. How how does the the uh, organization go about that? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, um, when you're an advocacy organization and you are trying to shape regulatory and legislative policy, then your main constituency are policymakers. And in our case, we're a federally focused organization. And so our main constituency is Congress and it is the administration. And then it's the various federal agencies that craft regulations which have a direct impact on our business. And so the first step is really to create relationships with those policymakers and to create opportunities to educate them about your industry. This is true of any industry, but it's certainly what we do at Inga. So we educate them about um, the natural gas pipeline and energy infrastructure industry. And um, so they understand how we work, what makes us work, and what types of policies make sense to have safe, reliable, affordable energy infrastructure in the United States. Nice. Well, and out of curiosity, do you feel that Washington generally has a good understanding? You know, do you, do you feel that they, they do kind of understand well how how it works and, uh, and how, I mean, I guess, and how it doesn't? Um, I'd say that it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, you know, certainly policymakers within key um, federal agencies that have oversight over our businesses. So, for example, 
um, FERC or FIMSA. Those are the two main regulatory agencies uh, that have oversight over um, over our business. And so they obviously very much understand our business. They have a lot of expertise. This is this is what they do. Right. Um, when you look at Congress, it's it's a bit more mixed because obviously members of Congress are dealing with every issue and members of Congress who populate committees with oversight over energy have a better understanding than those that don't generally. Um, like anything else, you know, there's still a lot of room for them to learn. They're not running our businesses every day. Do you think that uh, a, a, you know, that certain degree of a lack of, of understanding kind of contributes to uh, any difficulties that you might have running the business, especially recently with some interesting changes to uh, the oil and gas industry? Absolutely. I think generally when people have a uh, just a better understanding, it makes for better policy. And, you know, really a, a, the largest component of advocacy is is education. It kind of seems to be that way, that it does seem to be a common trend, especially as I talk to more and more uh, individuals within the industry like yourself. So actually, how and that kind of brings me back to how did you decide to get into the oil and gas industry? What what made you decide to go um, be a part of this arena? So I would say, you know, I mentioned that I got into politics broadly about 20 years ago. Yeah. And I would say my my interest in this arena started more from an interest in politics and advocacy more so than an interest specifically in the energy industry. Um, so I worked on a congressional campaign during the 2000 election, and that's really where I got the politics bug. Um, the candidate that I worked for lost her race, but I came back to Washington and have had a variety of different roles in D.C., in federal government, um, in the advocacy space. And then about 10 years ago, I went to work for um, a company called the Lowe's Corporation. And I was a uh, hired as a federal lobbyist for the Lowe's Corporation. And Lowe's is a diversified holding company. And one of, and they had um, multiple uh, subsidiaries. And in my role with Lowe's, I actually worked as the lobbyist on behalf of all of their subsidiaries. Oh, wow. And when I started with them, they had three different subsidiaries in the energy space. At that time, they represented an offshore drilling company, a um, natural gas exploration and production company, and then a natural gas pipeline company. We're all within the Lowe's portfolio. And so that's really um, where I got my start in the energy business. And during the course of my tenure uh, with Lowe's and then um, beyond, when I went into some consulting work, I spent the bulk of my time with um, the company that was a natural gas pipeline company. And that's really how I got into this subset of the energy business. Interesting how things work out, huh? 
Yes, absolutely. It you know it does actually make sense though that you'd be driven by something like advocacy. Um, I had seen that that you actually still work to try and help make uh, other people's lives better through volunteering th- opportunities as well, like such as Everybody Wins. Yes, Everybody I- Wins DC is a is a fabulous organization that I've been involved with. Gosh, I don't know. I think it may be going on close to six years now, um, where it's a, it's a reading mentor program in based in Washington, DC. And the way the the program worked pre COVID, we've had to uh, (laughs) adjust with COVID, but the way it used to work is that a, um, an, a, a professional adult reading mentor would be paired with a child in the DC public school system. And you would actually read to the same child once a week throughout the school year. And it was just an incredibly rewarding experience. Uh, You really got to know these kids and they were giving up their recess time to come read with an adult. Like they, they were just hungry for this experience. And it wasn't about, it was, it was, intended to be, you know, fun for them, help foster a love of reading. You know, it wasn't, uh, we didn't, we didn't work on homework or those types of things. It was just pleasure reading and um, just a really great, great program. Unfortunately, you know, we've, we've struggled to figure out how to, to readjust in light of COVID. We've been doing virtual programs and, and, uh, you know, like so many other nonprofits, um, obviously, it's been a bit of a struggle. I can only imagine. You know, I feel uh, glad for those kids, though, that they, they have individuals that they can reach out to and, and look towards, especially uh, in this last year when people have been so isolated. Probably uh, the volunteers at Everybody Wins DC has probably been such a, a light in the homes of those kids that, you know, when they weren't able to go to school and even having to do it online, that's probably, you know, probably makes such a difference. Well, certainly we hope so. I I hope so, too. I, I'm sure it does, though. That just sounds like such a wonderful program. But uh, definitely, definitely seems kind of right up your alley, I guess, is what I'm saying with, with in the advocacy area, uh, leadership positions. Uh, it seems like you're kind of a, of a born leader. That's kind of neat. So when it comes to advocating for these different things, what is there anything that you think that the public should be made aware about? I mean, um, obviously, you're, you're always trying to get information out to those individuals on the Hill that, you know, could make a difference when it comes to these different policies. But what about, uh, what about everybody else? Is there anything that you think everyone else should know? Well, I don't know that the, that most Americans spend a lot of time thinking about where their energy comes from. Certainly some do, but I, I just don't think You know, most people, um, they want to be able to flip the light switch in their house and they want the lights to come on and they want things to work. But I'm not sure that they spend a lot of time thinking about what it takes to make that happen and that there is a necessity for infrastructure in this country to ensure that when you hit that light switch, your lights are going to come on and and that 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 infrastructure is is really vital. And that um, as we have increased 
demand for energy needs in this country, that it's going to require more infrastructure to be able to deliver on that. And I, I just think in general, that concept is something that I wish more Americans appreciated. So do you think that more infrastructure is going to bring about more regulations as well? Or do you think this is going to be, you know, a foundational setup type of a thing? Well, I don't think infrastructure itself or the need for infrastructure brings about regulations. Um, I I don't think that's a it's not a causal relationship in that way. I don't suppose Um, I said that terribly clearly. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You're right. I guess I I guess I meant a, a kind of a. It kind of seems almost like when building uh, another part of infrastructure, more regulations seem to tend to follow, not necessarily caused by the, but yeah. Do do you think that it'll it'll bring more regulations, I guess, or um, be accompanied by more, there we go, be accompanied by more regulations potentially? Well, I think we are definitely in a current environment where, you know, the current, you know, I guess I would say maybe phrase it as um, policymaking leadership um, seems as if they want to potentially have more regulations in place. And don't get me wrong, not I'm not saying all regulations are bad. I mean, we you want to ensure that um, any new infrastructure that is built in this country is done so in a, you know, in a safe uh, way, safe manner. I have no opposition to that. Um, Certainly. You know, as I mentioned earlier, FIMSA, which falls under the Department of Transportation, is our main, is our main regulator, safety regulator with, uh, for natural gas pipelines. And, and for those that maybe don't, I realize I'm using acronyms. It's the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration under the Department of Transportation. And they, you know, regulate natural gas pipelines to ensure that they are safe. And that's a good thing, right? Like that's, yeah. that's good oh, for the absolutely. American public. So, so there's no, there's no, um, I'm not indicating that regulations are necessarily bad. I think it, I think we want to make sure that regulations are consistent and that they're transparent and that they're predictable so that anyone who is developing and building energy infrastructure, whether that's a pipeline, whether that's wind turbines or solar panels, um, that it's a it's a a you know, predictable, understandable playing field for all. Yeah, and that that makes sense. Absolutely. So I guess, and this this might be kind of jumping a little bit, um, but to the INGAA Foundation, the Interstate of Natural Gas uh, Association of America, sorry, pause there for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) The the foundation is a big mouthful when you say the whole thing. That's why we say Inga a lot. See, I I, I should just start that. So the Inga Foundation, is that that is that different than Inga? Yes, actually, it is. So the Inga Foundation is their own separate entity. Um, though obviously we're closely aligned, I am actually the president of the Inga Foundation, in addition to being the president and CEO of Inga. And um, the Inga Foundation um, has a, they have a slightly different membership than Inga and a slightly different mandate. So 
the Inga membership are <clears throat> transmission and storage pipeline companies in the United States and Canada. And currently we have 25 members of Inga. The Inga Foundation has a broader membership. They have more than 200 member companies representing natural gas pipeline companies, but the construction companies, engineering firms, pipe and compressor manufacturers, accounting firms, all of the different types of businesses which support the construction of the natural gas pipeline industry. Nice. So they they have a much broader membership and their primary focus, they actually don't do any direct advocacy work. The Inga Foundation is not an advocacy organization. Rather, their primary function is to sponsor research aimed at promoting natural gas use and the safe, efficient pipeline construction and operation. Oh, wow. Okay. That is, that's pretty cool. So when it comes to the pipelines that have been being put in uh, within, say, let's see, it was formed in 1990, right? So gosh, so that's been going now for what three decades. Um, what what have, have we seen as far as this, what have the studies suggested, I guess, as far as uh, environmental and safety trends? How, how are we doing? So the, um, the recent um, studies from the, um, from the foundation have really focused on kind of the ongoing need for um, energy infrastructure in this country. And the, um, the Inga Foundation recently completed a study. It actually was just released in January of this year. Um, they called it a, a sort of a near-term update because one of the um, foundation's marquee pieces of research is that um, every couple years they do um, – sort of their their midstream infrastructure, you know, study about and they they do a long timeline. So they often do um, you know, like a you know, almost a 20 year timeline of what are gonna be the infrastructure needs for this country over sort of a long horizon. Okay. And in January they did a an interim study because they were looking at the impacts of COVID. We know that not COVID specifically, but the way that our United States economy responded to COVID and the way um, energy demand shifted in the United States during COVID when people were all hunkered down in their homes, that that yeah. had a direct shift on oil and natural gas demand and production. And um, so they did an interim study to see, do we still have the same expectations. And um, the the general result of that study was that, that yes, that once we emerge from sort of the COVID lockdown, um, that we do anticipate um, continued need and demand for energy infrastructure in this country. So that's that's kind of a positive thing then. I mean, right? That's that's kind of looking like we might end up eventually getting back to normal once, you know, the, the weird restrictions are kind of eased off of across the board. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Absolutely. I mean, that's certainly, I think, the anticipation and that's the hope. And actually, we already saw at the end of last year, uh, LNG 
liquefied natural gas exports, which had definitely decreased sort of during the thick of COVID, already uh, rebound at the end of 2020 and into the beginning of 2021. Nice. Well, that's that seems like a pretty good thing then. Um <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, so then being a part of this foundation and having access to these different studies would probably be uh, immensely helpful when it comes to taking those steps towards advocacy on the Hill uh, through Inga. That's Absolutely. I mean, the Inga has definitely used research generated and produced by the Inga Foundation as part of our advocacy efforts in the past. Absolutely. And are these studies, are they made public or are they are they just released kind of within the industry to professionals in order to continue making positive improvements? No, um, they are made public. You can actually go to the Inga Foundation website right now and pull up that um, midstream infrastructure report I was just telling you about. Oh, very nice. Well, in that case, I'll just have to include a link to it in uh, my show notes. So that, that would be great. So everyone Absolutely. can access it. Yeah. <laughs> that is fantastic. Well, that's really cool. I guess I, I kind of had an understanding of what it is uh, that Inga did before talking to you, but I, I, th- I, I don't think I was quite right. You know what? I feel like I feel like I was just just a little bit off. So I really appreciate kind of telling me and, and talking with me about all the different uh, aspects of, well, of what you do specifically um, between both of those organizations, actually. Well, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, you were you were asking a question about sort of public understanding of energy. And the answer I gave was was broad, big picture. You know, when you drill down just into the natural gas space, um, one of the things that I always think about is how little people understand the natural gas value chain. That's what we in the business call it, the natural gas value chain, where on one end of the value chain is you have natural gas production. So actually, um, you know, extracting natural gas out of the ground and then you move it. it uh, often it goes into Um, you know, a processing facility of some sort. And then it moves into what we call the midstream portion of the natural gas value chain. And that's where Inga sits. Those are our members. We represent the midstream portion of the value chain, which is where we through we have long haul pipelines that move natural gas all across the United States. So think of us as sort of the um, the highway system of natural gas pipelines. And then we move that gas from areas in the country where it's produced to the areas where it's consumed. And then um, those consumers of natural gas, um, there's a lot of different types of consumers of natural gas, which is another thing that I think people don't realize. Natural gas goes directly to local distribution companies. So it it gets directly delivered out to to homes and schools and neighborhoods. or it can go into power plants for electricity generation, or it goes to industrial manufacturing facilities where it's used to make all types of common products that Americans use every day. Mm. Or sometimes it goes to export facilities, as we were already mentioning, LNG, liquefied natural gas export facilities. But I don't think people 
appreciate that there's an entire value chain and that different aspects of that value chain are represented by different companies, businesses, and then essentially different trade associations. And and that's what I'll come back to, that INGA is the trade association representing that midstream portion of the value chain. Yeah, well, I know that for myself, you know, I I know just enough about the oil and gas industry to be able to ask questions and basically understand the answers. You know what I mean? I I don't I don't necessarily think that I'm terribly knowledgeable, but I I very much enjoy getting to ask these questions because previously, you know, I I guess I had thought that it would be a bit more cut and dried. I mean, five years ago, I I would never have guessed that there were this many different organizations and moving pieces, I guess, within the industry. Mm -hmm. Obviously, now I have a completely different picture of it, but um, it's it's been very uh, rewarding, I guess, getting to conduct these conversations. They're not so much interviews as much as conversations with people and, and get to hear firsthand about what is going on where you're at you know, with what you are doing. Absolutely. So that's absolutely that's happy great. to happy to help try to educate you and uh, your audience. Oh, absolutely. Well, and you know, th- there's probably a bunch of people that will be listening to this thinking, well, I already knew all about this, you know, because there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> you know, industry, well-worked industry individuals that uh, I'm sure tune into the crude life every day. Uh, Jason Spies always has real knowledgeable people on there. <laughs> well, hopefully you and I left, uh, left today's listeners with something new maybe they didn't appreciate before right i i know that i really appreciated it is there any uh is there any last thoughts that you would want to you know let people know about or is there any place that you think would be a good place to send them for information if they would like to find out more other than obviously the ingo website has quite a bit of content on it as well with information uh, an entire link about pipelines 101 for anyone listening so <laughs> Well, thank you. Obviously, I was going to direct people to the Inga website. Also, they can feel free to follow us on social media. You know, we're on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter if if they want to follow us on social media. And then I would just say, obviously, I assume most of your listeners are in the energy industry in some way and um, would just continue to encourage individuals to be advocates on behalf of the industry. You know, when when you're at your neighborhood barbecue and, you know, someone speaks ill of, you know, natural gas or pipelines, like that's your opportunity to step up and to educate them. You know, if you're in the industry, you are an expert on your aspect of the energy industry. And and you should use that knowledge, not just when you're at the office or out in the field, but, you know, also when you're sitting around talking with your friends and neighbors, because the better understanding that the average American has about um, where the energy they consume comes from and the importance of that energy and the infrastructure that delivers it to their homes and businesses I think the better off we're all being. Oh, absolutely. I I do agree. Thank you so much, Amy. I really appreciate you taking the time, especially with as busy as I know that you are. So thank you. Well, absolutely. Happy to chat with you today. 
Yeah. And then, hey, listen, if you've got any uh, big news developments or anything that, you know, later down the line that you think would be pertinent for an oil field audience to listen to, uh, don't hesitate to reach out if you ever feel like talking again. Great. Will do. Thank you. All right, friends and listeners, that was Amy Andrzak, and she's the president and CEO for the Interstate of Natural Gas Association of America, uh, or or you can just call it INGA. Less of a mouthful. I think that'd be the best bet anyway, right? So INGA and the INGA Foundation. So make sure to go and check out links in the show notes. And if you enjoyed the content, be sure to check out the rest of what thecrudelife.com has to offer.